0: Hey, thank Hannah, would you? You can have a seat. Thanks for being here, Hannah. So if you're online, uh, you didn't get to hear my eloquent and moving, powerful introduction of Hannah. Um, Hannah's a worship leader at Denver Community Church. We know her through our friendship with Danny Ortley, and uh, we're really glad that she could be here today. And we're grateful that the online stuff got sorted out, and so if you've hung in there online and you waited... Through some of those technical difficulties, you've, you, I'm really glad that you're there. And uh, the folks that came here were thinking they were going to walk away with a great lesson of, see, you should come to church. But as it turned out, uh, the technical difficulties got worked out. So we're grateful for all of that, that you're here and that they're there and that we could be all here. We're going to finish this series today, this book of Ephesians stuff. And Paul saved some of the best stuff for last, um, and, and so we're gonna walk through a very confusing and complex passage together, but it couldn't be more applicable to where we're headed. Um, Ash Wednesday is coming up this week. And so I sat down with a friend to talk about Lent uh, over the last week, uh, a friend who doesn't know a whole lot about Lent. and So we talked about uh, the connection between Lent and, uh, and this, this friend had actually just made a trip to New Orleans. And so we were able to tie in the the events of Mardi Gras. So you don't know much about Lent. Then you might not know about Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras and all of the celebration down there that doesn't look very religious at all, but lo and behold, it has roots in a religious uh, liturgical calendar. Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, followed by Ash Wednesday, where we begin the long, slow walk toward the cross. And so Wednesday night, We'll gather here in this room for a special Ash Wednesday service. We'll talk about what Lenten means, what repentance looks like, and why we would even practice that and impose restrictions or self-denial in our life. And so you can come here. You can watch online. We'll be online as well then, um, probably with audio and everything. And and if you're here, then we will use ashes uh, from previous years, actually, um, because We don't have palm leaves. This is another another grief of loss, if you will. We, We don't have palm leaves from Palm Sunday of 2000. Normally what we do is take those palm branches and burn them and make ashes. But now we have to go back in time a little bit and use some ashes that we've had. We never use all of our ashes. They're stored in my office in a little place. And so we'll go back and use some older ones. Um... And this sounds a whole lot like the last year that we're relying on previous. And so that's Wednesday night, 7 o'clock in this room. Hope you can be here. Next Sunday is just sort of a standalone week. We'll we'll, we'll be done with Ephesians. We'll be getting ready to start a Lent series. But you're going to hear from Will French. And so if you've heard Will French, uh, one of our leaders here in the church, uh, preach before, then you're in for a treat. You do not want to miss it. I'll be with my family in Estes Park and I'm going to be there because our oldest son, Austin, is, well, one week from today, he gets married. And so we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. And so Maddie, our uh, soon-to-be uh, daughter-in-law, we just love her. We think she's just the best in the world. And, and, uh, and of course, we're excited about them. And it will be a, sh- a small wedding, just family. And we'll gather up there at the YMCA of the Rockies in a little chapel and have some dinner together and, and have a party. And so I can't wait. We're, we're really we're really jazzed about it. We've been waiting for this for a while. So we're very excited, and you can pray for our family as, as the week rolls on. Yesterday we thought, we're so glad it wasn't this weekend. You know, I mean, you, know you would think maybe, right, uh, have a wedding on Valentine's Day or whatever. And this morning it's about minus 8 in Estes, and so we're really glad. Next week's supposed to be a, uh, like a massive heat wave. It's like 36 degrees, so... Um, Ash Wednesday and all that. So Paul begins this last section of of Ephesians. And if you have had any friction this year with anybody else, another person or where you work, then he's gonna talk about it. He's gonna talk about why that friction matters and what you can do about it. He's gonna even talk to you about what you should think about that friction. If you're a leader, what Paul says in Ephesians 6 is such an incredible big deal. And most leaders have no idea what to do with these verses. And so you maybe you lead at home, maybe you lead in an organization, maybe you lead in your HOA or with friends. Well, everyone leads somewhere. And so this applies to you no matter who you are. Um, if you have... Anybody in your life that you are responsible for, like kids, direct reports, uh, somebody you're giving care to, um, what Paul talks about here is, is such a big deal. And most people, again have no idea what to do with these verses and they just kind of give them one color and we move on and they miss what's actually going on in the world. And so, aren't you glad you're here and tuned in? Uh, Here's how he starts this passage. He uses the great word that everybody loves to hear in a sermon. Finally, he says, finally, and then he says this, be strong and in the Lord and in his mighty power. So when Paul does this, it's the first indication that he gives that you're going to need some strength to do what you need to do. He's talked about all kinds of things in your life. He said, you know, husbands and wives submit to one another. Uh, dads, don't exasperate your kids. And slaves and masters, he even gets some advice about that. And he talks about all of these incredibly complex, in fact, the most difficult relationships you've ever had in your life are wrapped up in the people you work with or for, or the people you live with or are part of your family. And he says these simple statements in Ephesians 5 that make it sound like, well, that's just what you do. Dads, don't, don't exasperate your kids. Knock it off. As if that were going to be that simple. He says it, you do it. But now when he turns the corner to begin finishing his letter and uses this word finally, which is there in the Greek, and it means, you know, with these final thoughts, he's going to give us the first indication that what you're doing is really, really hard. It doesn't matter whether you're raising kids, just trying to survive in a marriage through COVID and lockdowns and work from home and stress at work and all kinds of layoffs and financial insecurity. It's really, really, really hard. It's so hard that the analogy that he uses is the only appropriate analogy. So he says, Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, and then he says this, put on all of what? Say it with me. What? God's armor online. You can say it at home so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And so the only analogy for what you're doing, for your life, for your relationships, for your marriage, for your kids, for your work, the only analogy Paul can use that fits is one of a battlefield that's the only one that works and he says you you're you're engaging in a battle that's intense and strong and it's a really big deal and it's incredibly difficult and you're going to get wounded you're going to get hurt you're going to have trauma i mean we know so much more about battle now than paul knew in the first century we know what PTSD is. Well, they had it then. They used to have a name for it. They were still people and they were still engaged in all the things that we're engaged in as well. But we understand the psychology and the heart and the mental anguish behind all of the struggles that we experience. And Paul says, look, I know I made it sound easy in chapter five. I, I, I know it just was just a statement. You know, submit to one another in love as if, oh, that's what you're, what you're gonna do. You're just gonna do that. But here's what I want you to know it's so hard, you're gonna need armor. And the reason you need armor is because there are strategies of the devil. Really, a direct translation would be strategies of evil. And you're opposed. There's something that comes against you. And he's gonna talk about what that something is. But right now, you just need to know there is something that is against you. So when you feel like you're trying to make progress and you get shoved back, It's true, you are. When you just think, oh, why does everything have to be so hard? That's why. Why does it feel like I'm going uphill? That's why. Why is there friction? Why is there such difficulty? That's why. Because what you're trying to do is hard. It is difficult. It is painful. And you have all the trauma, all the PTSD that anyone who has ever lived or drawn breath has. And so, that's why you're weary. That's why you need rest. That's why you need the comfort of God's word and the comfort of God's people and the grace of God's gifts in your life. It's hard. So don't rush past this beginning and if you feel weary, there's a reason why. There's a reason why. So then he says this, very next verse, for our, what? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is the only time in Scripture this word is used. The only time. There's other times when words are used that describe struggle. But this word in the Greek, it's the only place in the Bible at all that this word is used is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And really, the word is wrestle when you see some other translations you'll see it translated directly to wrestle this is what it means for our for our wrestling our struggle our friction our difficulty do you feel like you've been through a struggle i mean just just take it, take out all of the Um, incredible difficulties of the last 12 to 14 months, whether, and 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 maybe you're sick of hearing about it, uh, but it's just resident in your life and it's just in the background of your OS, the the pandemic, the the racial strife, the political unrest, all of that. Just take all that, just, just think about a normal year, just a normal year. Paul still wrote this in Ephesians. For our struggle, what we wrestle against. You're in a struggle every day. If you're breathing, it's a struggle. Have you ever uh, really wrestled? Did you have brothers when you grew up? Some of you had brothers and maybe your sisters wrestled. I don't know what it was like in your family, but I had brothers and so I've wrestled a good bit. I wrestled against them, but I didn't really know what it meant to wrestle until, well, in high school I had a buddy who was a, a wrestler. Any of you guys wrestle? Dean, did you wrestle? Yeah, I had, I, know, I had a feeling that Dean was a wrestler. Uh, Dean Graff is our audience. And, and so I, I would have guessed that Dean was a wrestler because he just has that low center of gravity look and you don't want to mess with him look, you know. And so I had a buddy in high school, he was a wrestler. And so, uh, you know, we, we just did normal, you know, guy fun things. But, but one day we kind of got into it and we started wrestling. We did that once. And here's what I learned about wrestlers. Here's what I learned about people who wrestle and who know how to wrestle. Wrestlers, if you're in high school or college or, you know, whatever level, I mean, you know, the real stuff, not the fake stuff. Um, wrestlers are the most conditioned athletes in the entire school because all they do, I mean, they, they lift and all that stuff, but they also spend 80% of their time doing isometric, pushing against almost immovable object type exercises And they are the most toned, the most conditioned, the strongest athletes, stronger than the linemen on the football team. They're stronger than anybody doing anything else in your school. They are the strongest because they push against immovable, seemingly, things all the time. And that's what I learned when my buddy Brian and I went at it. He toyed with me and just fiddled until he wanted to be done with me. And then I found out the second thing about wrestling when he was done with me. A little bit of skill takes you a long way. And so he did one little flippity flippity headlock thingy and there I was down for the count. It was over. And I thought I was in better shape than he was. I mean, I was four inches taller than he was. I weighed at least 20 pounds more than him. And he did with me whatever he wanted to do. Tossed me down and that was it. This is what it means to wrestle. To wrestle. And the wrestling that you're doing is intense and it's involved. It's the struggle that you're in and it's real. But now Paul is going to say something that is a deep, enduring truth that you and I will miss and we'll push right past it if we don't mean to. For our struggle is not against what? Say it with me. Flesh and blood. It's a Jewish saying, a Jewish idiom. And we know what it means. We don't need it explained, really. We we, we know what he's saying. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What's flesh and blood? Well, I am flesh and blood. More flesh than I want to be, but I'm surely flesh and blood. You're flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against what? A person. Our struggle is not against a person. Now... I want you to let this sink in. So we're going to stop and go a little slower here because if the only thing you get out of today is this one idea, then we will be better people for it, better followers of Jesus for it. Your struggle, your fight, the wrestling that you're doing right now, whatever the wrestling is, whatever you're trying to get done, whatever resistance you feel, whatever you're trying to accomplish right now, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your fight is not with another person. It's not. If this truth is not deeply lodged in your heart and in your mind, if you don't take this idea from Ephesians six twelve and turn it over in a thousand different ways and ponder this and figure out how it applies to your relationships, then you will make mistake after mistake after mistake in your relational interactions with people because you will mistakenly believe that your fight is with them and it's not. And you may say, you don't know anything about my fight. I don't have to. Paul didn't either. He didn't need to either. Your fight is never with another person. And I know, I know where our minds go. They go to these places of, yeah, except for, nope, not, not except for. But what about, doesn't matter. I know, I know. You have... Your story and your story is different than anybody else's and that's absolutely true and it's unique. But what Paul said is enduring and is true and it is capital T truth and it's true for all people, all places in all times no matter where you are. Your fight is not with another person. If you haven't seen the way they came at me, oh no, I did, I saw it. They came at me the same way. You don't know what was said. I got a pretty good idea. I've seen a lot. Your fight is not with another person. Now, the sooner you quit arguing with yourself over this truth, the sooner you get to the good stuff. But I know that this truth is a, Hill that is hard to swallow so take the time that you need because if you go past it too quick you'll come back to the truth that you know what it isn't I mean it is except for that person I divorced or that boss that I've got except for my neighbor that I can't stand except for this family member that I'm going to be in the same room with then just go back to this idea and you wrestle with it all you want and then come to the conclusion your fight is not with another person and until you come to this truth and own it yourself you will always fight the wrong battle. You don't want to fight the wrong battle, do you? Aren't you tired enough? You got energy to spend? I got stuff for you to do at my house. You're looking for things to fight with? I can give you a list. Your fight is never with another person. Come on, if this isn't true... Let me just seal my case up for you, okay? If this wasn't true, then how in the world could Jesus in good conscience say something like this? But I tell you, love your what? Enemies. Why would he say that? If your fight is with somebody else, somebody else that you feel like is way off track or super aggressive to you or been very, very hurtful to you or whatever it is, why would Jesus say to you, Name that person, name what they did, and then Jesus says this. But I tell you, love, agape love, your enemies. What does that mean, agape love? It means that you want for them what is morally best, you want for them what is socially best, that you want to use your resources to benefit their well being and make them better off, more loved, more forgiven more connected to God. That's agape love. Why would Jesus tell you to use your resources on someone else's behalf if they are against you and they need to be, what? Defeated. That would be irresponsible, wouldn't it? It would be completely irresponsible. And antithetic to everything that Jesus teaches unless... Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus is echoing what Paul says. And so you need to know that your fight is not with another person. Listen to why this matters so much. If this truth isn't deeply lodged in your heart, then you will have anger, emotions, stuff you don't know what to do with, and you will believe that it's meant for another person. You'll have anger because you're in a struggle. You need armor because you're in a struggle, because you are in a world where a battle has ensued and continues every day, and you're going to get tired, and you're going to be sad, and you're going to be angry, and you're going to have emotions that you don't know what to do with, and they're there. And if you don't believe this, well, here's what happens. Misunderstood anger and aggression always finds a target. Always. Are you ever in a conversation with somebody and you're expressing your opinion about something that happened earlier in the day, had nothing to do with them, and you get a little animated, maybe a little ramped up. Maybe your voice goes up in volume. Maybe you even get a little red in the face and they maybe stop you and say, wait, wait, are you mad at me? Is that ever happened to you? And they say, no, I'm not mad at you. Even when they say they're not mad at you, it sounds like they're mad at you. No, I'm not mad at you. And then they say, I'm mad at them. Well, it seems like you're mad at me. Well, no, I'm not. I'm just upset, and then they calm it down and take their anger a different way. Why? Misunderstood anger and aggression always finds a target. Always. And so when you believe that your enemy is another person, when you believe that your struggle is, in fact, with flesh and blood, then you're going to do damage. someone who is made in God's image. And that damage comes in the form of words, attitude, harmful behavior, aggressive attitudes in your heart. Because your anger is going to find a target. You don't know where to put it. It's going to come out. It's a bullet. It's a loaded gun. Somebody's going to make that trigger go off and when that happens carnage happens it's violent you've seen it happen you've been on the receiving end of it and my guess is you've been on the giving end of it we all have why? because we have misunderstood who our enemy is say this whole verse with me and you know let's say it together online. Maybe you don't know, the cameras work both ways. I can see you in your living room. So say it in your living room or, you know, a few of you are in weird places, but that's cool. I'm good with it. Here we go. Let's say it together. Are you ready? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Say it one more time. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If you can take this truth and lodge it deeply in your heart then it will transform how you think about relationships. Not the normal, everyday good ones, the ones that have the most friction and difficulty. And if you can do that, well, then it gives you the ability to live out the greatest commandment with so much more authenticity. What is the greatest commandment? Well, there's two, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all that you are. And then there's a second, and it's just like it, Jesus said, love your what? Neighbor as yourself. You you, you mean my irritating neighbor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean the one that voted for him? Yep, that one too. You mean the one that, yep. Who's my neighbor? Every person I come in contact with who crosses my path, you can't live out that commandment unless this is deeply embedded in your heart. And one more little tip, if you don't put this deep and ponder and think about this over and over again, when it matters most, you'll react like somebody else is your enemy. This takes time and it takes layers to really put it where it belongs. So if our struggle that we're in, that we need armor for, if we're in a battle, and Paul says we're in a battle, you need armor, he's going to give a whole list of armor, If you are in a battle and you need armor and you are wrestling and you are about a struggle and it's not against other people, what is this struggle against? And he gives us an answer. And it's a big, long answer. And we're going to take just a little bit of time to walk through this because this is transforming, as important as the truth we just stumbled over. And this is what he says. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, For we are not contending against flesh and blood. I went to the Revised Standard Version, a little bit different in the first part, but here's the rest of the verse. But here's what our struggle is against. It's against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, the vast majority of this verse, in fact, I'll say all of this verse, is greatly misunderstood. And for most of us who follow Jesus, we have no idea what to do with it. We. Grow up believing. If we're in a church, and you maybe you're familiar with this verse, or maybe you've read a little Frank Peretti uh, back in the day, and you remember this phrase, this present darkness. Um, I remember reading Frank Peretti's books when I was in, I don't know, college. I think it was, and I remember thinking, this this is mind blowing, and it opened my eyes to the spiritual battle around us of unseen forces absolutely transformative, really good stuff. I'd never thought about it that way before when I was, I don't know, 21, 19 years old, something like that. And then that's where this ends. This, this whole verse means to us, well, there's, there's evil and there's demons out there and they're against us and we can't see them and they trip us up. And we believe that, you know, the devil made me do it. And I understand that the devil is real. And if you have a, what would be a, A biblical or Christian worldview, that's not a surprise to you and you understand it, but that is only one piece of what this verse is talking about. Let me break it down into a list for you just to help you understand and get you on the same page with me. So I just bulleted the things that Paul talks about. It's the same content of the verse, just with a few articles left out. For we're not contending against flesh and blood, but we are contending against principalities and powers and against world rulers of this present darkness and spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. What does all this mean? Well, you know what two of the four mean for sure, and they're not that hard. We'll start at the bottom and work our way up, okay? At the bottom, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Scripture teaches us clearly that evil is real, Satan is not an idea, that there is a contingent, of God's creation that is unseen and a part of that contingent, angels, demons, and all the like, there are some that are evil and fallen. The scriptures tell the story. Now, you don't have to be super spiritual to believe this. Most of us believe it even before we understood there's a God, that there is something in us or something around us or maybe something among us that tempts us toward things that we should not want that are not good for us. And you have felt it and you saw it in your two-year-old, in your three-year-old, and you still feel it today if you're 50, 60, 70, or 80. That temptation is real and it affects your everyday life. And that's what bullet four talks about. And that's absolutely true. But most of the verse is about other things that we haven't given much thought to. This third one we kind of get, right? There are world rulers of this present darkness. Well, sure, there are people who are given the authority to rule over others. And we know some of them historically. And this would be referring to people who are good and people who are bad. Why? Well, we know from Scripture that the world, this present darkness, well, right now the world is Satan's domain. We also understand That there is good and light here as well, but for the moment, God's kingdom is present but not fully realized. And so, world rulers are here to manage and rule over this present darkness. So, this would be true of anybody who holds any position of power when it comes to world ruling or political power. So, this would be true of Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler, the same. Some are good and do good things, still tempted because they're fallen men, but maybe they're doing good for the purposes of God's kingdom, and some are evil, do evil things. So we get it, demons, Satan, and the like, rulers. But what about these two? This is where we get stuck. What in the world is meant when Paul talks about the principalities and the powers? What does Paul mean when he says, your struggle, you are contending against the principalities and the powers? Well, before you shrug and raise your hands and say, well, I have no idea what that means, you're the pastor, you tell us, use what you know, start with what you know. This is how you wanna approach every piece of scripture that gives you any confusion. Start with what you know, and you already know some things, right? Number one, you know this, that you're not contending against what? flesh and blood, not contending against flesh and blood. So it's not necessarily a person, but every one of these things seem to have something to do, at least these top three, with something that is seen. This, we totally get it, this is unseen. These are spiritual forces. I can't necessarily see them, but I know they're at work. These have to do with things that are seen, world rulers, powers, and principalities. I don't know what that means, but it seems like it has something to do with People who have authority, who are, let's just use a part of the word, principal in some organization in some way. Who among us, so use what you know, not flesh and blood, one person, who among us has power and authority? Who among us is principal and who has power? if you begin to ask these questions and tease it out a little bit, then you'll be pretty close to understanding what does Paul mean when he says, you are struggling against the principalities and the powers. And if you ask that question, who among us has power and who among us is principal? then you'll catch that this idea isn't just in Ephesians, it's in Colossians, it's in several places in Scripture. It's, in fact, all throughout the New Testament. You even get a glimpse of it when Jesus is discussing things with Pilate. Where does Pilate fall? World rulers of this present darkness. You get a glimpse of it when Jesus is in the garden and he's being tempted to give up the cup, spiritual host of wickedness. And you watch it when the disciples are arguing about who should be in charge. Principalities and powers. And so if your question is this, and it's my question when I read this passage, what are the principalities and the powers Then I've come to this conclusion? And thoughtful theologians, much smarter than I, have taught me down this path. Principalities and powers are any group of people... Where somebody is principal or key to it, and they have power over something somebody, some organization, some circumstance maybe it's people, maybe it's a resource, maybe it's an organization, maybe it is a political entity. That's what a principality and power is. So let me say it again it's a group of people who are principal in some way, they're key. They're not just rank and file, they're key, and they have power and authority over something. And that something could be inanimate, a resource, it could be animate; it could be a person, or it could be an organization. And they've come together, and this is the other key piece, for a common purpose. They've gathered for a reason. You see this in government, right? We've gathered to make laws and enforce laws and establish order. A government is a principality and a power because we know that not everybody is a world ruler. We have city councilmen. We have a mayor. We have a governor. I don't think we would call our governor a world ruler, but he is a principality and a power. So are you saying, Paul, that our struggle is against them? Yep, that's what he's saying. Our struggle is against the principalities and the powers. Say that again. What's a principality and a power? What's any group of people who are important to that group and have power over somebody else or something, and they've gathered together for a common purpose? And that common purpose brings them into a coalition, and they work together, and they're organized. And so when you had a little club, when you were in your neighborhood growing up, that was a principality and a power. You know it was because you excluded that little kid that didn't belong and he felt left out and you had authority over his belonging. This is true for every company. It's true for every entity, an LLC. It's true for every HOA. How many of you are part of an HOA? Let me see your hands. When we bought our house, we decided we did not want to be a part of an HOA. Why? Well, because they're a principality and a power. What does that mean? It's a group of people who have come together and there are some principles and they get to make decisions. In other words, they have power or authority over other people. What kind of power and authority? Well, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? They get to decide what color your house is. Are you kidding me? In America, land of the free, home of the brave, somebody gets to decide what color you paint your house? Well, Paul would say that is a principality and a power. It's a government. It's a political party. It's a movement. Any movement is any organization, any company, an HOA, as I said, even churches, even a church is a principality and a power. Now, here's why this matters, and why Paul says that we contend against them. When we contend or our struggle is against principalities and powers, we recognize that some of the principalities and powers that you know of, and your mind's catching up, you're able to name a few of your own that I didn't list, some of them are good and do good things. Wellspring that we partner with here at the church, they are a principality and a power, and they do good things for good people, and they meet needs that are very important for all people to be met. But they still are a principality and a power. And some are what we would say let's use good church theological language redeemed, like some churches. And they do good work or good nonprofits, Habitat for Humanity, you name it. Good things. Some don't do good things. Some use their power to serve the needs of the few. And they are fallen. In fact, all principalities and powers, they are just like people. They were created to be good, created to do good work, and created to bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth, just like you were. But just like you are, you are also fallen and need to be redeemed. In fact, our tendency is to do selfish things for ourselves for our own good. That's the same for every organization that has ever existed. But the hope is that they would be redeemed and do good things. These are just like us. Fallen but in need of redemption. They're just like us. They're subject to temptation and subject to doing bad things for bad purposes, just like us. Here's a couple of examples. My friend is redoing his kitchen and he got all his appliances in. One was the wrong appliance. so he got them all delivered to his garage. And then he realized one was the wrong thing. It was on back order. Everything's on back order. Everybody's building and all that kind of stuff. So he had to send it back. And he's waiting for the one appliance that is now on back order. He had to wait three months for this appliance. All the while these other appliances are sitting in his garage. And he's waiting for the install to happen. finally, yesterday... The new appliance arrived and they unboxed the other ones. They unboxed his brand new designer level beautiful dishwasher, very expensive dishwasher, and they pulled the box off. And the front of the dishwasher has this incredibly massive dent right in the front. It's ruined, just destroyed. The installers who work for the company that sold it to him, the, the store that sold it to him, said they put the box right on it immediately. He said, we won't install that. We won't touch it anymore. It's damaged. You need to call, call the company. So he called the company. When he calls the company, he's talking to somebody who works in what? Customer service, that's right. And this person on customer service, they are very compassionate, very hopeful. They want to meet his needs and they talk to him and he's not really talking to a person, is he? Who's he talking to? A company. His struggle is not against what? Not against flesh and blood. His struggle is against principalities and powers. We've said that all companies are a principality and a power so we won't name this company but it was ge and so so this company that sells this appliance they have an objective what's their objective i'll give you the short answers their objective is profit and viability they're a publicly traded company and he calls and says i have a damaged dishwasher and you need to send me a new one and of course we want their compassionate heartfelt response to be what is your address that's not their response what they want to know is is this my responsibility or not why well if it was just me and I just was giving it away I would absolutely give you a new dishwasher that's what I want to do but I can't do that I have to talk to my what supervisor uh, I'm going to need to talk to your supervisor and so he does then he talks to the supervisor is he talking to a person no he's talking to a company three hours on the phone with a company to find out that it's not their responsibility why? What's his contention? Who's he, who's he struggling with? Who's he wrestling with? Is it flesh and blood? Nope. He's wrestling with a set of policies, a set of ordinances, a set of rules. They all have a script. They all have a limit to what they can do, even though they're people with full free will and they can choose whatever they would like. But they can't because they're in the context of a principality and a power. This happened to me last year series of healthcare things that span two years, two different deductibles, about four different providers, and nobody wanted to say that the money we had paid belonged to the other entity. Have you been in the quagmire of health care payments and insurance payments? Were you dealing with a person? No. You were dealing with what? a principality, and a power. Well, I thought they were a nonprofit. Well, they are, but they just can't give it away. And so they're going to deal with you in the way they would deal with anybody else. We will not give you anything that you can absolutely, beyond the shadow of a doubt, incontrovertibly prove that is yours. And that feels like a struggle. Oh, we were on the phone hours and hours with four different companies, multiple occasions, and still lost money that belonged to us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. It's against a political party that you disagree with. It's against a county government that is mandating certain things that you don't agree with. It's against a company that you've worked for for years that you have to go with your hat in hand asking for a simple vacation. That's your struggle. And that's what Paul's talking about. The world is filled of principalities and powers. Now, if you begin to get your mind around that, then you will begin to put these pieces together. Have you ever noticed that some organizations seem to have a soul or a personality? Have you noticed that before? It's true, they do. It's not a soul like eternal. Organizations have a have a shelf life, and they begin and end. Unlike us, we are eternal. We'll spend eternity with with God. But organizations have a soul. Uh, Well, we call it a culture. And you've noticed this. A company has a culture. Families have a culture. Families are a principality and a power. Some families have the culture of secrecy. Some families have a culture of joy and grace and forgiveness Every principality in power has an ethos, a DNA. We just had a candidate in who you'll get to meet in a short period of time. We'll send out some communication. Candidate for our, our student pastor. And we, we met with the leadership team. We met with volunteer teams. We met with the staff. And I asked the same question in every one of those gatherings so that this candidate could hear about our culture, our ethos, our DNA as a church. And I had every group explain to this candidate with various questions, what is the heart of our church? And they all described the same thing. How could that be? How could there be 20 different people who look at this thing, this church, and describe it in the same way, with the same heart, with the same culture, the same ethos? Why? Well, you've been around, you know. It's easily seen, easily identifiable. And so what happens with principalities and powers? Listen close. I don't know who you work for or what your family's like, but like people find each other. People who want profit, people who will do anything for profit, they find each other and they form a company or an entity and that's their goal and it's the values that drive who they are. Churches who want to grow beyond measure just for the sake of growth, nobody says it that way, but they exist, they find each other and they form a church principalities and powers are people who gather for a common purpose and so what does that even mean so what let's say you have a good working understanding of what this is all about therefore what first of all that's your struggle That's what you're struggling against. You know that there's temptation out there. You know that there's some rulers out there that you have some issues with. And you vote and you're active and politically engaged. But these are the source of your daily struggles. And if you understand your struggle, well, you're halfway home. Halfway home. Here's the second thing. All of you are connected to some of these principalities and powers, and God's hope and ideal is that they would be redeemed and used for good purposes, just the way you were redeemed when you surrendered your life to Jesus. And so the principalities and the powers that you're connected with, well, it's your job not to argue with your boss or or lord it over your direct reports. Jesus would say, that's not how we work. Jesus would say, we redeem the powers. We redeem the principalities. What does that mean? It means we want them to do good things, have good values, and you represent the values of the gospel wherever you are with whatever organization you lead. If you lead an organization, then this is a massive deal for you. Huge, really important that you understand it and get your mind around it. And that's why it matters. Most people, the friction in their life could be brought into these two buckets. These two things, they're there. They affect us every day. But these affect us in in the most intimate of ways. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against world rulers and spiritual hosts of wickedness. All of this is what our struggle is about. And so Paul tells you to understand this struggle and then put on your armor. And so if I were you, I would spend some time this week in Ephesians 6 as you get ready for Lent to ponder the armor. Here's one piece of it as we wrap up. Stand firm then with the, what? With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Have you had a few moments this year when you've been searching for truth? Have you? Trying to figure out, how many cases are there really? I mean, really, does a mask even do anything? Have you been looking for the little t, truth, that exists out there, and believing that that truth is going to guide you or protect you in some way? Well, what happens if you don't have the truth helping you? Well, it sounds like you walk around with your pants down, right? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It cinches everything together. This truth is important, it's key, and it will keep you safe, and it will keep you protected. What is the truth? Jesus and Pilate asked each other. What is truth? Well, Jesus gave you that answer, didn't he? What did he say? He said, well, Thomas was saying, you know, Jesus, we want to follow you. Jesus said, well, you can follow me. In fact, I'm going to go. And then Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus said, you don't need to know where I'm going because I am the way. I am the what? The truth and the life is what Jesus said. He is the truth. The the truth isn't who you should vote for. That's, That's whatever. You can figure that out. You're smart, thoughtful, politically engaged people. The truth isn't what happened in Washington or what's happening in downtown Denver. The truth isn't whether or not you should or shouldn't be living this way or that way. The truth is Jesus, and Jesus guides you towards truth. In fact, he is the only truth, capital T truth, that will matter for your entire life, for all people, all places, all times. In fact, at one point, Jesus said, look, I am the truth. And then he followed it up later with, and if you know the truth, if you know me, you will be what? Set free. And if I have set you free, you will be free indeed. Let me guide you through some prayer. And Hannah's gonna lead us in a song before we're done. Lord, this is our hope and our prayer today that the truth of Ephesians 6 will lead us down a different path. So we walk away with these ideas today, Lord, that our struggle is not against another person. We believe that to be true. Our struggle is against the principalities and the powers, against those who rule us in evil and wicked ways, the entities that they represent and our struggles against the unseen forces that tempt us trip us up and thwart us along the way so there are many in our church that lead in various ways some that lead nonprofits some that lead their own for-profit companies some that oversee and have the responsibility for the the benefits of employees, some that lead in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their families, some that lead in schools and teach and shape the hearts of others. Lord, we come to you today believing that you are indeed the King of Kings, that you have established the church, that we may know each other, walk with one another, and that we may shape the lives of the people that we get to love And that we would do so not by power or authority or might or struggle, but that we would do so by agape love that lends our resources to their benefit. Lord, this is our hope and our prayer that we would live lives that would be honorable and that would represent the depth and the truth of this verse. And so now, Lord, as we sing these lyrics to close out our time together, may these words resonate deep within our heart and soul we sing the story of the gospel and that we would be your called out ones of the church and as we live this way would you give us a vision of what it means to contend and struggle against the principalities and the powers and as we do so lord shape us and form us we ask all of this in the power of your name